Welcome to the Wolverine Confidential Podcast. I am Andrew Kahn. And I'm Ryan Zook. Both Michigan basketball teams lost high-profile games on Thursday night. We discuss what went wrong and the implications. With football's regular signing period just a few days away, we update you on where Jim Harbaugh's program stands with various recruits. Coming up on Wolverine Confidential. All right, Ryan, good to be with you here Friday morning, January 27th. Both basketball teams played last night. Uh, We can start with the women because I don't have as much to say about their game. I I watched some of it, but not all of it, as I was at Chrysler for the men's game. But I can tell you they lost at number 10, Maryland, 72 to 64. Maryland's pressure on the ball bothered the Wolverines. I mean, they turned it over 24 times, uh, including eight in the first quarter. I, I did see most of the first quarter and Michigan got sped up. Um, they looked uncomfortable. They don't have a true point guard, and that's kind of been an issue. You know, they did they did break down the defense at times and get open looks from three, but they just didn't convert, you know, enough of them. Maddie Nolan finished three for 10 from three. Jordan Hobbs was one for four off the bench. Nolan actually fouled out after 27 minutes. Elise Stuck fouled out after just 11 minutes, which is, which is hard to do. <laughs> I'm not mad. I'm just impressed. No, <laughs> yeah, zero points and, and five fouls in 11 minutes. Quite the yeah. stat line. So, yeah, uh, you know, Maryland had 18 turnovers, so it was, I guess, a sloppy game overall. But, yeah, th- this one was going to be a tough one, you know, on the road. against the team you swept last year that you knew was was hungry to get some revenge. Um, it's, it's why, you know, made you know, the failure to protect home court against Indiana earlier in the week, you know, that much tougher. They stay on the road. They visit Minnesota um, on Sunday. You know, Minnesota is two and seven in the Big Ten with both of those wins coming against Penn State. Michigan now six and four in the Big Ten, kind of kind of fading in that conference race. You know, when you got a couple teams at the top with only one loss and a couple others in front of them too. Yeah, the path to like a, a Big Ten regular season title here um, seems... Daunting, uh, but, you know, Michigan's still in play for good seed in the NCAA tournament and the, and the chance to host. Um, the men, it's uh, not so much. <laughs> uh, I mean, same old story, right? I mean, had some good moments, some good spurts, and, and was able to compete against the top team. But in the end, it didn't help their win-loss record at all and still failed to get that first marquee win of the season. Exactly. I mean, they... They showed early on this looked, I mean, right away, it was like, this is seems like, I mean, just a completely different Michigan team than the one you saw uh, on Sunday against Minnesota. I mean, it looked like they were playing a different sport. It was entertaining basketball. I mean, Zach Eady is, you know, absolutely a, the national player of the year front runner. You, you saw that, you know, early in this game and, and really throughout. But, uh, you know, he and Dickinson kind of trading blows early and, and Michigan got a, you know, early lead. They went up, you know, it was 13 to seven. It wasn't, you know, they weren't up 20 points, but they, they got a six point lead. They looked, you know, well equipped to, you know, maybe pull off the upset. They had won five of six against Purdue, you know, beat them, blew them out last year at Chrysler when, when Purdue was ranked number three. You thought maybe, okay, they, they can find that magic again. And then a 15 0 run for Purdue later in the first half builds the lead to double digits. And, and Michigan was, you know, playing from behind sort of the rest of the night, you know, just little things throughout. Um, yeah, cost him the game. Yeah, and and no Jet Howard too. It was obviously costly yep. because you're relying on more guys to play bigger minutes, and I don't know if they're really ready for that at this point in in their careers and, and in the season. No, it's a great point. I mean, it wasn't so much even about Joey Baker moving into the starting lineup because you know he he did okay. It's then. 
Baker isn't the guy coming off the bench. Now someone else is coming in for him, you know, and those minutes weren't necessarily, you know, productive ones for, for Michigan. Um, you know, last night, I think it was 20, 23 to nine, maybe the, uh, the bench points, you know, Purdue versus Michigan. So that was certainly a factor because, you know, Dickinson and Edie kind of neutralized each other as far as, as far as their stats. But yeah, it was, it was some of the other guys that, Michigan couldn't contain. And I mean, at, at this point, I feel like Hunter Dickinson is becoming a broken record after every game saying, you know what, we're a good team. We're a good team. Like we're just, yeah, we're not coming out with wins, but we're a good team. Like, at some point, good teams got to come up with a big win at some point and start to build that momentum and, and build off certain performances and, and show that they can improve and come out with better results. And at this point, we're just not seeing it with this team. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, it's not hard to see him saying this, even, you know, the season being over and it's like, you know, they're about 500 in the big 10 and you're like, you know, we're better than this. We're better than our record showed, but at some point you are exactly what your record is. That's really (laughs) all that matters. They keep score and there's a winner and a loser. And you know, it's, it's been Michigan about half the time and the other team of the other half. Yeah. So you're not wrong. I mean, he has been saying a lot of the same things. I believe that he believes it. I don't think he's just trying to like speak a good team into existence. I, I think, you know, they, they point to those close losses, but yeah, I mean, I think it's worth pointing out like the Iowa game, you know, they kind of, they blew it. All right. They were up seven late and, you know, gave up that four point play and, and end up losing in overtime. The only other one, I mean, the Virginia game, they lose by two. They did have, you know, possession with a chance to tie or, or win it at the end, uh, you know, the shot never made it to the rim, but you know, that was closer to like a buzzer loss in a sense, but you know, the others, they were close, you know, a couple of possessions here or there, but they really, they weren't, you know, they didn't have any like truly heartbreaking, you know, buzzer beater losses. So right. they're maybe not quite as close as, as they'd think, but yeah, it, it's interesting here. I mean, like, at least they have some good or bad. They have some opportunities for some quad one and quad two wins coming up, which can improve their resume. But if they continue to lose, then it's like, well, then your record continues to get worse. And once you hit like the 500 mark and it gets to be February, it's uh, it's going to be a tough hill to climb. Right. Especially when you just didn't do enough in the non-conference. But yeah, that was, you know, Purdue number one in the country. That was the most, you know, marquee game they're going to have. But like, you know, from the net perspective, you know, the kind of sorting tool for the NCAA tournament committee, the quad one win, you know, a team that's in the top 75, that's all they need to be, you know, if you're playing them on the road and, you know, top 30, if you're, if you're playing them at home and, you know, it, it goes down the line for quad two and so on. And, you know, the big 10 is, is loaded with teams there. I mean, currently, you know, after Purdue, you've got Rutgers in Indiana, 2021, Ohio State and Illinois, 27 and 28, you know, Maryland, Michigan State, Iowa, Northwestern, all there in the 38 to 44 range, you know, Penn State at 60, Wisconsin, 70. Uh, So like those are all teams in the top 75. As far as, you know, if you you get them on the road, it'd be a quad one. Notice I hadn't said Michigan yet. They're next at 74. There's only two teams in the Big Ten worse than them. That's crazy. Yeah, in the net. So, you know, Jawan Howard recently saying, oh, we're in second place in the Big Ten, uh, which is no longer even, you know, factually true. They're not, you know, as far as just their their resume, it's far worse. I, I don't know. I mean, we could, there's probably a different debate, you know, whether Michigan as a program and its fans should like rightfully expect to be at the top of the Big Ten, like every single year. I, that Again, that's like a different discussion, but this year, they're definitely, they're not. And it is interesting how Jawan Howard has been kind of 
you know, laying into this, the injury. We've been playing the injury card lately. I've been saying that's, you know, well, what's the difference between the successful teams you've been a part of and this one? What is this team missing? And he's like, health, good health. And I don't know. I guess everyone's open to, you know, you can interpret that however you want. They lost their starting point guard, you know, early in the season for the year, Jalen Llewellyn. That's for sure. Um, and then last night they were without Jed Howard. No one else that's regularly in the rotation has missed any games. So I don't know. It's tough. He mentions, you know, Jace Howard or, or Yusuf Kayat. Like those are guys that even when fully healthy, sometimes got zero minutes in the game. So it's hard to really say that them being unavailable has been a, a major factor. Or if he points to, you know, kind of minor ailments for Terrence Williams or Kobe Bufkin, like they didn't miss any time. They were out there. So it's it's hard. It's hard to kind of decipher that, but that's where Michigan stands. And they've got, uh, yeah, they've got opportunities. I mean, Penn State now uh, on the road in Northwestern, back-to-back games. Yeah, chances for wins. But again, it's like they have these chances, but are they gonna are they gonna capitalize on enough of them? Because they they didn't really do enough in the non-conference to you know make up for a, a mediocre Big Ten record. So we shall see. You know, we said we've got some recruiting to talk about. The early signing period starts Wednesday. Yeah, what do we need to know? Why is this such a, an, an important time? Yeah, I mean, like you said, the, the signing period is coming up. But more importantly, it's a big stretch here for future recruiting, too. I know Michigan's hosted. They hosted their first of two junior days last weekend. And they have another one coming up this weekend, too, getting a bunch of 2024 prospects on campus uh, for unofficial visits. And, I mean, it's, it's still very early in that cycle, but these early visits are very important in building those relationships, showing off what the campus has to offer, what they have to offer academically, NIL presentations. And they did land one commitment from last weekend's junior day as well, a a three-star defensive lineman, Ted Hammond from Ohio. Um, Continuing that Michigan to Ohio pipeline, that's the second out of five commits in the 2024 class after they signed four Ohio recruits in the 2023 class. But yeah, like you said, they're still trying to to build this 2023 class and maybe add a, a few more players here. Obviously, the big name that everyone's talking about is Nicholas Harbor, five-star athlete from Washington, D.C., um, Michigan. Jim Harbaugh and three other assistants just went in home with him on Tuesday, kind of the last-ditch effort to throw the, the kitchen sink at him and say, hey, this is what we can offer you, and hoping that he chooses Michigan on signing day. But he's also visiting Oregon for an official visit this weekend. He also went in home with a Miami coach, a South Carolina coach, a Maryland coach. So it's going to be quite the decision day for Harbor. Just an absolute freak athlete. The the reason why it's a unique recruitment is because he's also just an absolute stud sprinter and wants to compete in the, in the 2024 Summer Olympics too as a sprinter. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of his top priority right now and maybe not necessarily football. And as we know, Oregon with Phil Knight and and their track facilities there, it's going to be tough to say no to. So I'm kind of maybe leaning to Oregon right now, but Michigan's definitely in the mix. They've been on them for a while. And obviously, as far as the on-field product football-wise and academics, because that's a key thing for them too, Michigan can compete there. I just don't know with NIL and with the track facilities if that might be a deterrent. But we'll see. He's supposed to announce his his decision on signing day next Wednesday, and that will be one to watch too. And along with the 2024s that visited last weekend, there was also an official visit from uh, another defensive lineman, three-star 
Cameron Brandt from California. He's been committed to Stanford since July. But obviously, David Shaw is no longer there. And Michigan kind of came in late and, and is pushing hard to flip him. And obviously, academics are key for him as well. They can kind of sell him on on field. Like, look, if you come here, you can get the academic part and also the on field success as well. I mean, we're coming off two straight playoff appearances. So I think a lot of people feel pretty confident in, in Michigan being able to flip him. So he just took an official visit, said he was going to take a couple of days to think about it. I would expect him to possibly announce a, a decision one way or another before signing day. So those two guys right there are worth paying attention to. And yeah, like I said, they're going to try and build relationships and continue to build this 2024 class, which after signing zero top 100 uh, recruits the last cycle they're going to be aiming pretty high in 2024 to get some elite guys and whether that's the quarterback position running back they're going to need to get a few more guys because they're going to lose a ton after the 2023 season i mean uh the track star didn't he see that the video of the women's team at michigan dropping the baton and still are falling and and still uh you know winning that relay i know that's the women's team but still, right the it program. Is i i saw that his high school track coach talked to a couple of the the recruiting sites and i guess his track coach trying to mention like yeah i mean michigan's track program isn't bad and they kind of mentioned like especially the women's team i think is top 25 in the country so yeah i mean for the big 10 they're they're pretty good but again big 10's not not uh, among the elite usually in, in track and field, but we'll see. I think the Michigan track coach is also involved in this recruitment too, and we'll see if they'll be able to seal the deal. So, you know, we we talked about, you know, last year, you know, how Harbaugh's NFL flirtation, you know, may have affected recruiting or how it affected recruiting. You had, you had another, that was a storyline again, you know, earlier this month. Now it maybe didn't drag on as long as it did last year but you know what effects have you seen or, or kind of how has he handled being back in Michigan and, and not in the NFL right. as far as his recruiting approach yeah I mean the, the stuff that he tells us in the media about no man knows his future and and all that stuff and he's not like that with recruits it doesn't sound like I, I had a conversation with the Michigan insiders Bryce marriage this week who, who talked to a lot of recruits and parents that were in town for the visit and I guess I mean he was pretty upfront about where Michigan stands as far as the, the NCAA allegations and his future and I guess he he brought up an analogy about being a tree and basically said like these NFL rumors and the NCAA investigation all that stuff is and the analogy was you have to stand tall and there's always going to be people at the bottom trying to chop you down and you have to stand tall and face adversity. And there's always going to be people looking to, to knock you down when you're successful. So it sounds like the, the recruits and parents are pretty receptive to that. I guess he answered a lot of questions about his future and like if he's going to be suspended at all or what might come from these allegations. So it resulted in one commit so far. We'll see if they continue to build that heading into winter and spring practices. Yeah. So what's the what's the key that people need to know here between now and, and Wednesday or, or anything to look for? Could there be any surprises or anything like that on actual signing day? Yeah, I mean, I really think the only two things for the 2023 class that are really worth paying attention to is, is Nicholas Harbor and uh, Cameron Brandt. But yeah, I mean, the 2024 class, they need to get some headliners early to help build people around them like that never happened in 2023. And as you can see, they were kind of just piecing it together last minute and, and weren't able to get any really high level elite guys, uh, whether it's Jaden Davis or, or some other guys in the 2024 class. 
they're going to need to get some top guys to build around. So these early visits are a start. Getting them back for an official visit in the fall is another another step. And then obviously getting them to commit and close is what Michigan has struggled with. And that's what they'll be trying to reverse here moving forward. Absolutely. All right. Well, stay tuned for continued coverage of, of signing day on MLive.com slash Wolverines. Thanks for listening.